Welcome to Isaac's Autism Wild Podcast. Today I have self-advocate Lane Anderson joining me to talk about Williams Syndrome for the month of May, correct? Yes. So you are, you just turned 21, right? Yes. And how old were you when you were diagnosed with Williams Syndrome? Between six and nine months. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about when Williams Syndrome and what the symptoms are. How did your parents know that there was a concern? Um, I had a heart problem and so my family went into the doctors I think it might have been for like a checkup or something and my the doctor um, read an article on Williams syndrome and said that I had the features and everything so then so it just was coincidental the doctor yeah. had just read an article about it yeah oh, that's interesting so let's talk about what Williams syndrome is so it's a um, it's a genetic it's a genetic syndrome, so it's like... It's chromosomal-based. It's chromosomal-based, so it's a, the chromosome 7, part of the chromosome 7. And it's deleted? And it's deleted, yeah. Okay. I'm only um, surmising because as preparation for this, I didn't know much about Williams syndrome, and so I got online and was looking at it and just to understand a little bit more about what it is. So um, the unique thing, so there's some similarities with Williams syndrome and... Um, down syndrome yes correct yes. so uh, so it is because it's chromosomal based actually some of the similarities are there's some similarities between Down syndrome and Williams syndrome in that there are a lot of people with Down syndrome also have heart issues yes is it the same heart issues or is it different complications related to the heart I think it's different complications I, I, don't, I don't know that either I, I don't know either okay, okay. but I I think it's different complications, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. And so then what are other like elements, like other symptoms or characteristics for Williams syndrome? Um, the eyes. There's um, a thing called the starburst eye where um, it has to relate, to, I think, to the eye lobe. Um, oh, your eyelid? Or my eyelid. Or oh, my okay. eye lobe. I don't know which one. but um, And then my nose. Okay. So. I then, also read something interesting, and I'm going to throw this out, because there are... There's a lot of overlapping between some, um, like, so this is Williams syndrome that we're talking about, then there's Down syndrome, then there's like autism. So there's a lot of, you know, similarities in some of these classifications. I believe that they consider Williamson syndrome to be a rare disorder. Yes. Yeah, so it's on, on one of, it's the, on the list of rare disorders. Um, but with that being said, there is some like physical features that are present like i said heart yes. defects are similar in multiple yeah. like um rare disorders if you will um, and then there's physical features yes. of it but one of the things i noticed on williams syndrome that is like very high probability meaning that a lot of people that have a diagnosis of williams syndrome also have it's like very high frequency was a small stature and i think that's interesting because you are like a little tiny little i mean like height wise how tall are you like five something. Yeah, you're, you're. I mean, you're. Yeah, but your dad is very tall. He is very, yes. very tall. Your dad is very tall. Yes. He and so that was one of the things when I read that on high frequency. I was thinking, oh, because it does talk about smaller features like yes. your nose and very delicate features when yeah. of Williams syndrome. And one of the things that was high frequency was that height and. I thought to myself, oh, I had never thought of it because I, I don't know if I've ever met your mom in person, and so I don't know how tall she is. But your dad is very tall. The dog just jumped off of the chair, and that's what that noise was. Sorry about that. Tyler, go ahead and delete that part out. Anyway, um, so some of the other features that are very frequent are 
Do you know? Um, I have, well, in my hands, I have a hard time with certain mobilities that I can do and can't do. Yeah, so there's actually, when I was reading about it, it has something to do with your where your hand forms or your thumb forms on your hand. So your, your the thumb actually is more like centered on the wrist. So is that true? So it's a little, yeah, so yeah. they're saying it has something like your, your thumbs are more rotated in. Um, like when you put your hands out like mine, yeah. So, and you, your hands, you tend to rotate your thumb in. And so it affects your fine motor skills. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Like I had to learn, I had the silicone therapy when I was through elementary school. Okay. Uh, learning how to write. And so they literally taught me. And it also has to do with like my bone flexure as well. And your muscles. And my muscles. So a lot of what I read about Williams syndrome is it actually it affects your muscle groups and how your muscles are very tense, which is why it seems like anatomy wise, we have the same thumb, same fingers, but because your muscle tone and the muscle tightness and some of your body muscles just hold things tighter. So that's why some of the fine motor stuff is more stiff. And so then you have to um, do a lot of, um, therapies in yeah. order to loosen some of the muscles. Um, what about like walking? Um, walking. So as I remember when I was a child, um, I had a hard time. I mean, I went through. How did, old were you when you started walking? Uh, I don't know that oh, okay. one. I, I don't know that one. Okay. Um, um, and then like learning how to walk. I think I was later in okay. age. I'm pretty sure it was like It kind of indicated online when I was doing my research that balance is kind of an issue. Can yes. be a big balance is a big issue with people yes. with Williams syndrome. And so it's not that you're not capable of walking, no. but just maintaining balance while you're walking yes. is is problematic. And because your muscles are so tense, then, you know, because of the muscle structures of, of your muscles, then, you know, walking and balance becomes more of a challenge. Yeah. And so I've had a lot of like difficulty with that. Okay. Um, Especially in the wintertime, mm -hmm. um, when it's snowy out, I have to, my parents tend to give me rides a lot because of, they're afraid that I'm going to fall because mm -hmm. of like the snow or ice or just. I want my parents to give me a ride. I hate snow and ice. Like, that's stuff is too, dangerous. But I have like, so, um, snow and, and then like sucks. doing like, you know, longer things and I always have to keep an eye on where I'm going and, um. Does it affect your, um, like, your stamina, or do you, can you walk all day long? I could, I'm up to seven miles. Oh, you could have done Bloomsday. I could have. Oh, did I, you do Bloomsday? No, oh. I did not do Bloomsday. Okay. So, let's talk a little bit about, you were six, six months old? Yeah. When your parents took you in for probably just a well-child visit, yeah. and the doctor had just read an article about that. How perfectly timed. So what did it look like at that point for you in terms of interventions? Um, well, my family, I think, had time to process. Um, and then I've asked my mom this, and I've asked my dad this. Um, and then they're like, well, we need help. So then they went and looked up research, and then they found the Williams syndrome association mm -hmm. and um then they found the resources of like the guild school which mm -hmm. is now called joya yes. um so then they did that and then the guild school did like physical therapy um all of those things and then i went into elementary school and did all of those things 
So with the Guild School, which is now called Joya, that is a program that's for kids that are diagnosed with a variety of different developmental and neurological disorders from the age of zero through the age yeah. of three. So you went yeah. through age three at the Guild School? Yes. Okay. And then at three then, did you go into a special preschool with the school district or what have, do you know what you did between three and elementary school? And then I went, I think I automatically went into elementary school. Oh, so, okay. But so, oh, she went probably into a developmental preschool. Yeah. And then that fed into kindergarten. Yeah. And then I went into Garfield um, Elementary School. And um, I met um, my second grade teacher. My best friend's name is Parker. So, Parker, I've known since I was like, he went to the good school with me. So, that's cool. since, Since I was like a baby. So, I've known him for a very long time, um, and he and I like went together, and then we went through all of elementary school together, and then one grade of like one grade of um, of middle, and then and then I came back through my eleventh grade, and then we did two years of high school together. So very cool. We'll talk yeah. about school here in just a second. Um, when we talk about school and entering school, like did you you know because there's information online when I was doing research that there's elements of people with Williams syndrome that have intellectual disabilities or developmental delays. So did that impact when you went to school, were you able to keep up with your neurotypical peers or did you need supports academically while you were in school? Oh, you had a para. Okay. So for you, what areas like do you like, are your areas of struggle? Like when you were in school, how does Williams syndrome present when it comes to like learning difficulties? Um, like reading math, Oh, so reading math. Reading well, and math. Okay. Yeah, are my big ones and writing. Okay. Well, writing because of the physical yes. or because of your fine motor skills. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and so were you, but you were still in gen ed with your classmates. You weren't in. Actually, except, no, I was in special oh, ed. Oh, you were. Well, yes. so were you in special ed with your peers where you had a para that was in your standard classes or were you in a classroom that was just made up of kids with other disabilities? Um, I was in. Some were neurotypical and then some were not. Oh, okay. Um, um, it depended on what the grade was and what the school thought was best and what my parents thought was best. So then they put me in, um, they put me in resource. So I would go to resource. I went through resource from like first grade through, um, through probably six. Yeah, six. yeah. I that we had that same experience, Lane, is with Caleb. Is that in elementary school, he was in Gen Ed. Yeah. With and then was pulled out to the resource room for extra support, and it was great during elementary school. And then yeah. once he got into middle school, then it was he had some Gen Ed classes. Yes. And then he had some classes that he was in yes. for like math and reading that were literally all just kids that also had IEPs that were needed extra support, and so. Yeah. Those were what they consider, the school district considers those to be um, segregated classes. So yes. he ended up being, you know, in gen ed, 80% of or 90% of his day in elementary school because he would just be pulled out to the resource room. And then when he went to middle school, all of a sudden he was only in gen ed 50% of the day because yeah. many of his classes. And so that was a real eye-opening experience for you. How did you feel? Did you have any feeling about that? It didn't bother you. It did bother you. How did you feel about that? In um, middle school, I had a lot of mixed feelings um, about it because I also tend to want to be normal. Um, what is normal, though, right? What is true? Yeah. True fact. Yeah. So it's like I 
was like, I want to be able to be with, you know, certain people. And I have like my friends and stuff. So I think what, I think it was hard because um, not understanding, still not, I think I didn't understand it until like along the way. That's a really good point. So at what age did you really have more perspective of the fact that you have Williams syndrome and that you were more cognitively aware of the fact that you wanted to be like all the other kids? Like, do you remember what age that was? That cognitively it was like, wait a minute here. Started middle school. Middle school. And then high school was, high school was the big years that I was like, okay, I have these, I have this. And so, um, I... Was that a good thing in high school, or because I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can read you. Was that like in high school you had this big more awareness of it? Was that like a not good awareness it of it? It was good and bad all at the same time. Okay, so explain that a little bit more. I had, I wanted, um, so kind of like a short story. My parents um, were able to decide if they wanted to get the surgery to get my hands done. So oh, so you actually had surgery on your hands. I did not. Oh, you didn't? They decided not to. Okay, and is this to give you better fine motor skills? Yes, so okay. it, would be, it would make sure that my hands would, they would break, have to break certain bones. Oh. So they decided not to. That sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah. So then. Are you thankful they did not do that yes. surgery? I was going to say, I'm very thankful they didn't do that surgery. Oh. But I also started in high school was irritated that I couldn't do certain things so then I was like I want the surgery I want the surgery so then we went I went through like a like a four-month phase of like being angry. I want this I want this done and over with so mm-hmm. I went through that but then I realized over time that I needed to respect my disability because it's who I am and it's who I'm gonna be mm-hmm. and if I couldn't respect that I'm gonna have you know, major like different differences, um, in learning how to be like, I'm okay with this. Yeah. So you had, you had to embrace your yeah. differences rather than be angry or yeah. disappointed with your differences. Yeah. And so do you feel like that's where you are at a place at 21 years old? Do you feel that you are in a place where you embrace your differences yes. and are okay and you're at peace with kind of your, your differences just with your physical abilities? Yeah, I'm pretty confident in it. Um, I do have some days where I'm a little agitated because I have like also with Williams syndrome there comes major mood swings. So I did read that. It's it can be challenging at times because I'm like, oh yeah, I can go through a day, and then sometimes in the like sometimes I can be fine during the day, and then sometimes I'm like emotional wreck. So, and do you know what's the thing the things that trigger it? I'm learning oh. still. Okay. I think I'm learning because it's like a new, um, it's still something that I'm going to have to, you know, go throughout, throughout life with. So it's like learning that, um, sometimes like I need this to be, I need a break from this. So then I take a break from it and then I go back and then I'm like, okay, I need to recap. So then I go back to it. Um, but then it's like, can be like sometimes where I'm like, frustrated about something I could be frustrated for for a very long time I could be frustrated about it for days and is it hard to get unstuck yes yeah and it's in that circle head of 
Yeah. And then it could just go through a rotation. So we call it perseverating in yeah. my world. Perseverating is something where we call it where Caleb gets stuck. And this is very common in the autism world is, is that they perseverate on certain things and they can't move beyond it. Yeah. I call it rock brain. So when Caleb was little, we referred to it as rock brain. He couldn't get it out of his mind and it was it made him stuck because that's all his brain would focus on is that one thing. Yeah. And so being able to teach him strategies to move beyond it. Um, we used a strategy in our house that was called the worry box. Have you ever used a worry box? No. Let me explain it. So a worry box is where you create your own box and okay. you make a little slit, like kind of like when you remember Valentine's Day where you would make a little yes. box, you take it to school yes. and all your buddies put your friend, like put the little yes. Valentine's in the little slot in your yes. box. Yes. It's that same principle and you decorate it and you make it your own. And every single time you have a thought that comes in your head that gives you anxiety or makes you worry or makes you perseverate and you keep going back to it and you feel stuck on it, what we would tell Caleb to do is write it on a piece of paper or at this time he wasn't very good at being able to write it on a piece of paper because he had a hard time organizing his thoughts to explain it. I would write it or I would tell him to write a picture. He would draw a picture of what it was that was bothering him and then we would fold it up, we would put in the worry box and then we would deal with it later. So we're not gonna, it's in the worry box it has a place. We're not going to forget about it, but it's there. But we're going to now it's in a worry box, and so we're going to move beyond it. Where anytime it pops into our head, we're going to say, nope, no, 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 no. I put it in my worry box. And then at the end of the day, or maybe it was every couple days, first when we first started it, it was once a day. We would go through the worry box, and I would pull it out, and I would read him the thing, and I would ask him, like, do you think this is something you still need to be worried about? And by the time the end of the day came, he's like, well, that was kind of silly. Like, I'm not really worried about that anymore. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So let me put that one aside. There was some in there that he still was worrying about. So then we would talk about, okay, so what is it about this that's causing us to be stuck? And then we might, you know, come up with something that we might try for tomorrow, some tomorrow. And then pretty soon we weren't checking the worry box every single day. Um, We may be just using the worry box. We would worry about the worry box maybe once a week. And then pretty soon he wasn't using it anymore because he finally figured out that he could just say, you know what? Like that's stressing me out. I'm not gonna, I'm putting, I'm just gonna lock it away in my brain and I don't actually have to lock it away in a box. And so that was something that was really helpful for us. I'm gonna give a prop to uh, Deb Scalabrine from Year Year for Change. She was the provider that taught us about the worry box and it was really helpful early on because sometimes when we went back and looked at some of the worries, Caleb was just like, oh my gosh, this is silly. Why was I even worrying about that? Right. But then there's other things that are legitimately worrisome. And so having someone that can sit down with you and say, Hey, what are we going to do about this? Or what are things that we might be able to do is nice. But, um, but yeah, I did read a lot about that is that it's hard. You get stuck. Do you want to know another similarity that I found between Williams syndrome and autism? is that actually there's a fair amount of people with Williams syndrome that also meet the criteria for autism. And I thought that was interesting. Were you aware of that? Yes, I was. Okay, how many people in Spokane have Williams syndrome, do you know? I don't know, but I met someone who has a, who has Williams syndrome and I met them in Spokane. Do you have any peers that are your age that have Williams syndrome here in Spokane? No, Okay. but I know, um, I know of people who are my age and haven't, but haven't been able to met yet because of certain circumstances. Sure. Do you use any online platforms like on Facebook? There's lots of yes, great Facebook groups. Yes, there's a lot of Facebook groups with Williams syndrome. So. And are they primarily parents or self-advocates? Uh, parents. Oh, okay. So have you ever thought about putting it out there on social media and starting a adult no. group with Williams syndrome? Do you think I that might. would be helpful? I might. I might. That might be a good idea. I'm just saying, like, do you feel like it would help? Like, 
you know, one of the things that we do at the Isaac Foundation is that we have the clubhouse. And the yes. clubhouse is a safe place for kids to come after school that, you know, are tweeners all the way through high school. Uh, and it's just a safe place to hang out, have common interests, you know, just, you know, be a kid. And I think for a lot of the kids that come every single week, there's it just kind of normalizes that kind of everybody has autism. Everybody has some people have similar challenges, some people have similar interests, but yeah. also there's like individual differences, but everybody's okay with those individual differences. So I wonder, like, how do you feel about that? If if you had a group in Spokane of young adults that have Williams syndrome, do you think that would actually be a benefit to you just to yes. get together with other people? Yes. Um, so, and do you know if there's other groups and others, you know, in other areas? Because Spokane is not the most no. metropolis area. So, do you know if there's young adult groups out there that may exist that maybe you just haven't stumbled on yet? Maybe. Okay. Um, I actually talked about this because I was like, I was getting, I was getting like passionate. I was like, there needs to be. I think with the Williams syndrome world that there needs to be. There's a lot of advocacy. That still needs to be, I think, in my opinion, still needs to be done. Well, let's talk about that. What part of advocacy when it comes to Williams Syndrome are you disappointed in? Because it's it's Williams Syndrome Awareness Month. So what yeah. do you want people to know and advocate for? Um I um that that's a hard one because there's so much dynamic to um there's a part of me that's wanting people to you know, see if there's like a reach out or to see if there's like a place where people with Williams syndrome can get together with other people and other people with Williams syndrome, just other people. Oh, both. Okay. So with Williams syndrome and without, because, um, to me, it's very important to have people that don't have disabilities and that do. So that way, you know, the balance, but I also think that, um, I also, there's a lot of, like, people that need to, like, understand that we have mood swings because, um, I go through this with a daily basis with people who I know personally that don't understand it. And so it's good for people to understand that I might be okay in the morning and then in the afternoon I might be having those mood swings where I'm, like, not sure and overwhelmed and then I part of my, my process is I get overwhelmed because I have so many feelings that I'm feeling mm -hmm. that it gets very overwhelming and then I end up and then I end up having one of those meltdowns where it's like I don't know mm -hmm. what I need I don't know what I want so out of curiosity uh, we use a lot in autism world we use what we call mood stabilizing medications and that's antidepressants yes um, do those types of medications help with people that have Williams syndrome for the mood swings I'm not aware I don't know um, I have because we use them in our world because we call yeah. that emotional regulation in autism world where kids can be fine a lot of it has to do with just sensory overwhelm yes um, versus just you know um, being you know depressed or anxious or you know, well anxiety is definitely a part the more anxious you are the more sensory overwhelm you start feeling but you know we have a lot of trouble with emotional regulation in our mm -hmm. autism world which sounds kind of similar to what you're describing yeah. and that's where we use medications to help manage anxiety and to help just um, you know slow down the swing of mood swings yes. if you know what I mean yes so I don't know do those types of medications help for people or do you not know um I think they could okay um 
I also think it depends on how much mood swings that that person has because I go through a daily basis of mood swings mm -hmm. and they're they're different and they could be the same depending on the day. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I could be happy to sad to mad to angry to anxious to depressed. So that's like my moods. Mm -hmm. In just one day. In one day, yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it just, I think it can just depend on the day. Does it feel like that impacts your quality of life with the mood swings? Oh yes, okay. every day. Daily. And so reaching out to providers, is there, are there certain types of providers that are your, your go-to that have a lot of knowledge about, about Williams syndrome that you could reach out to for support in that? My doctor. Okay. So you have a doctor locally. Is it just a general practitioner? Yeah. Okay. So is there any doctors in particularly that you go to see that are specialists that... I had Dr. Harper for a long time. Okay. Um, and what type of doctor was? A general um, and then she helped me and my mom like understand certain things. So I had Dr. Harper for a very, very long time. And then, um, and then I ended up, um, she ended up leaving her practice. So then she went somewhere else and then I got, ended up getting a new one. Um, and then I've started doing those things. So, um, got it. Um, question where I want to circle back to the school. Yeah. Um, so you actually are one of our adult self-advocates and you and your family decided that rather than graduating at 18, you stayed in public education yep. until 21. Yep. And when we talked about this before, you said that there were pros and cons of this. Like yeah. at the time you weren't very happy about it. No. You were not on board. Um, but it was, your family was pretty adamant that this is what we're going to do. But now hindsight being 2020, you actually are kind of glad that you did. Yes, I am. Okay, um, so talk a little bit about how you went from being mad and angry and how dare you make me stay in high school to now being like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Um, I think it was because I was like, I wasn't understanding the, sometimes I agree to something that I don't understand and I'm guilty of it and I know that. Um, and so like, I didn't quite understand it, but I think my parents wanted me to do it because it would benefit certain aspects of life and I didn't have those resources yet. Sure. So one of those things that you're speaking of is when we call them super seniors, like, yeah. so you're, we call them a super senior situation. And really that time of from 18 to 21, the super senior years are spent on employment development yes. and learning skills to be able to be employed or yes. figuring out what really gets you excited so that you know what classes you might need yeah. to take or um, trade schools that you might pursue. Yes. So the super senior years are really critical for young people. I think honestly, we're missing the boat with neurotypical teenagers too, because so often these kids are graduating at 18. I have two seniors right now and neither one of them has any idea what they're going to do after high school. And so they're kind of feeling stuck and overwhelmed. And so your parents just kind of made that decision. You yeah. were not happy about no. it. And <laughs> yet now hindsight, you're like, oh my gosh, I learned so yeah. much in these, this super senior status because yeah. it really is preparing you for the workplace and the skills that you didn't have at the time of yes. graduation you have now. Yep. yep. And I am very thankful, actually very thankful for it because I know, um, deep down I was really like, okay, well I'm going to go to school. And then I went and they taught us like interview skills. They taught us how to get prepared for an interview. It was really cool because I, um, I ended up being a, a part of a club 
that did like interview skills and so we would go and interview at different places Mm -hmm. just for practice just for practice yeah and so um i last year became the president of that club so very cool i did it for um about two years very that's a good accomplishment so well towards the end of this podcast i want to talk about what you did you have always really tried to shine and bring awareness to williams syndrome and in the past you've done fundraisers to help raise money for the williams syndrome foundation is that what it is and so you decided you and your sister decided that you wanted to do something again this year so talk a little bit about the project that you and your sister sedona did for and you actually did it through the month of april even though april is not April's Autism Awareness Month, yeah. but you did your fundraising during the month of April because you wanted to have some money that you could donate yes. for May. So talk yes. about a little bit about what you and Sedona did. So Sedona and I met three weeks before we started, <laughs> and I was like, I actually was scrolling through Amazon just looking at certain things, and I was like, treat boxes are really like cool and unique, and that way I can hold them. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And then um, I found the the handprint on the internet and I was like hey my sister does like art she's very artistic she loves it and so I was like hey she loves baking so I was like the two combined is very good so then I was like she was like I'm willing to help so I called her and I said these are my ideas she's like I'm willing to help so then um as as we went through, I kept checking in with her to see if she was okay. Keep going, keep going. So you prepared more of the order forms yes. and, and promoting it, yeah. and then she did some of the more fine motor skills yes. and the cooking skills. Yes. And so what came to us at the Isaac Foundation was a, a cute little order form supporting Williams Syndrome, a fundraiser that Lane was doing. It explained very clearly that proceeds from this was going to go to fund um, Williams Syndrome Foundation, yeah. and because May is Williams Syndrome. Um, awareness month and so you could pick the different if you wanted candies if you wanted cookies if you wanted brownies or whatever it's very well done and they just were five dollars each yes and so then you use the money to buy some of your supplies and recover some of the costs that you had invested into your your project supplies and then the rest of it you're donating to williams syndrome foundation and how much did you raise over 500 yeah i think your dad said when i asked your dad it was like over a thousand dollars total that you guys had um raised that is incredible is that more than you raised when you did your found your fundraiser years ago yes how much did you raise before um i can't quite remember i haven't i attempted to do it um last year but i had so much going on that i was like there's no way but this year has been a very study year um we've had people order 10 boxes five boxes so we have had a variety of different kinds um was it overwhelming at times at times at times yeah um but Sonana and I are very good at communicating with each other so that's good Sonana and I were we would call each other on a daily basis and ask how we and ask are we doing okay like is this too much is this overwhelming how can we help each other so yeah it's been very good and bonding time well, what we're going to do in the show notes is we're going to actually link the Williams Foundation or Williams Center Foundation website. So if people want to learn more about that, um, I'm also going to paste a link to a website that we found that actually is really good about explaining what it is and dif- different symptoms. Talks a little bit more about the deletion of chromosome seven. Was that right? Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I really think you should probably you should try pursuing 
a online platform now. Thanks, thank, the one thing that happened thanks to COVID is, is that people are much more comfortable in an online platform yeah. for like Zooms and connecting. And it would be interesting, you know, if that was a meaningful way for you to be able to connect with other adults like yourself that yeah. have Williams syndrome. And who knows what you guys could do if you started collectively pulling your group in and really advocating for more awareness and acceptance. And I think that would be, that's like one of my, one of my like, and I know that I've like done like certain jobs, but I'm like, my advocacy is like my one-on-one. I think it's something that is a part of me that always will be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had like a conversation with someone um, during middle, uh, during like my first year at Images and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this is what this was. And so like advocacy made me stronger. Yeah. And so now I'm able to be like, I want to start this group. Let's do it. So then it's like learning the steps of how to start a group. Yeah. Well, and you're officially graduating, graduating. Your super senior status is now ending this June. So you probably will have a lot more time with not being in school to be able to focus on, you know, building that advocacy and and raising more awareness. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, and we will catch you next time.